This is the Elk Hunt Podcast, home to everything elk hunting. I'm your host, Cody Rich. From fellow DIYers to elk hunting legends, we have elk hunting stories, tips, tactics, and more to get you pumped for elk season. Join us every week for great elk hunting content. This episode of the Elk Hunt Podcast is brought to you by Initial Ascent Packs. Initial Ascent makes great packs and their carbon fiber triaxle frame system handles weight really well. I personally haven't got to use one of these packs yet, but if you look at the reviews, <coughs> people are in love with them. And I know my good buddy Zach Bohey and Ryan Lampers absolutely love these packs because they, they handle a heavy load really, really well. They're perfect for packing out big elk. And this month for our gear giveaway on the Elk Hunt channel, we're giving away a initial ascent ia 4k pack system to one of the elk hunt members so if you're not a member yet get on it get signed up and you'll actually be entered to win in every single month or every single drawing we do we're doing them once a month and last month there was only eight entries so if you're not yet uh i suggest getting signed up the odds are really good and we're giving away a really sweet pack this is a 4600 cubic inch pack so it's great for four days seven days easily do a week on this pack and it's light enough that you can kind of use it on a day-to-day hunt as well so if you're in the market for a new pack check out initial ascent packs and if you want to win one be sure to get entered into this month's giveaway Alrighty, tom welcome uh, welcome to wapiti wednesday man uh stoked to have you on you're a solid elk killer uh i mean you, your whole crew you guys are solid elk killers uh so so game on we're gonna tell some stories we're gonna talk some tactics uh we're gonna you know i mean go through a bunch of stuff i'd love to hear like your system and whatnot because i feel like man both archery and rifle you're super successful so uh welcome to the show man hey thank you for having me i appreciate it it's been long overdue (laughs) yeah i know it's been a while um so i'd love to start uh you know we were joking before the show about bulls, you know, you have a history with or whatever. Um, but I'd love to start with like kind of the, how this year played out. You you killed a bull that you had hunted before, right? And got back in on during rifle season. Yeah. So, you know, and I wouldn't say I had a very long history with this bull. I just found out he existed this year, um, but it wasn't a drainage I've hunted in the past. And so there's possible, there's a, there's a possibility that I may have crossed his path before And, but like this year in particular, I, you know, I would say it was the first week of archery season. Um, we had other tags that we drew, um, in other States like Wyoming and Colorado. So, um, I was just hunting in Idaho, just on my general tag. And the first week of season, I did bump into a pretty nice bull and I got eyes on him and I was like, oh man, I want that bull dead. But then I, immediately ran out of time because we had other hunts to go to. And so, uh, and I committed to hunting with my little brother, Trevor, um, you know, he drew a Wyoming tag. So I went there, filmed it. He killed a great bull. And then after that, we, me and Travis went to, um, um, Colorado archery and he killed a bull the first day we were there. And I just, for me, I spent the rest of the time, you know, about a, about a week and a half in Colorado. And I just didn't see a bull that I was going to be happy with. Um, I mean, there was a couple six points that, that if it worked out, I would have been happy with them, but I just didn't see, um, like the size there, you know, it didn't really get me that excited staying there. And so I actually decided to come back to Idaho to pursue that big bull once again, you know, like, although I, I hated burning a, a Colorado tag. I was like, I'm going to go back 
although there's less elk in Idaho, um, I just felt like my quality, the quality is just a little bit better, at least in the area I was hunting. So. Which is funny because, um, you know, you always have like this, like, oh, I got an out-of-state tag. I should be hunting that. But it's like, why go to an out-of-state tag that's, you know, less quality than when I can hunt at home? And like, you just feel like you're wasting time. And that's really the tough part of having multiple tags is you're always like, oh, I should be on this hunt. Oh, I, waste, I should be over here. It's, I mean, first world problems, but. <laughs> but it is first world problems, but yeah, but I, I also wanted to. You know, the, it was so hard for me to leave a tag, you know, because I, you know, I drew this Colorado tag. Travis and I purposely burnt our Colorado points knowing that they were, they were going to introduce wolves this year. We were just already ahead of that, that curve. We're just like, I, I already know what wolves do to areas. I live in it. I live in a wolf infested area myself. And so we just thought this was the year to burn them. And so we did. And then afterwards, you know, like I said, I mean, I'll say this about Colorado. There's just so much wildlife there. It was awesome. And I don't know if I worded that properly, but you know, we saw a lot of moose and we saw a lot of elk. You know, I have I've kind of like that uh country talk. So sometimes my sentences don't come out properly. Um, thank you for your patience. Um uh, but we saw a lot of game and we were really impressed with the numbers of of wildlife from mule deer, elk, and moose. And it just was kind of like I was replaying back in my childhood when we were there of of what we used to have with the number of wildlife. The downside though, that we did not know about the unit is that it is a, like close to there where the elk pull down in post rut, it's a general tag for rifle hunters. Mm -hmm. And so it was, um, so it just really, there just, there was just, we weren't seeing many bulls past three years old. Like there, we saw a lot of elk, a lot of bulls in Colorado. And I know there's better units in Colorado, but just that one in particular, um, we were seeing some young six points, Travis killed a, you know, I'd say an average six point, you know, six by six. And, you know, we kind of just wanted to get one out of the way and then it's like, okay. And then just focus on a, if we can find a big mature one, um, to, like we had action every single day. And finally I was just like, you know what? I, that bull that I saw in Idaho, I know for a fact, if I go into that drainage, he's the only bull in there, you know, like he's the only bull in there. And with a little herd of cows, but I'm like, at least just knowing he's there made me want to go back. Right. And, and so I'm like, you know, I wanted to pursue that big guy back at home. You know, he was bigger than anything I saw in Colorado. So that's why I went back. And, and the other thing too, is those seasons overlapped and, and having that, I'm like, I had to make that decision, right. Yeah. Bouncing back and forth. What do I do? What do I do? And finally I had to pull the plug. I've never done this on a tag, believe it or oh, not. Oh, really? I never left I've early? Always, I've never left early on a tag. This is the first year I ever did that. I actually felt really weird, like, <laughs> being a tag. Like, I was, like, I didn't know what the, you know, like, I felt like I failed. <laughs> like, like, a failure, but I'm like, I knew that it was the right move. I knew it was the right move. It's funny because I had a tag. I, I think I've talked about this before, but I drew uh, a 67 Wyoming tag on the second choice on the second choice or the second draw. And I had that tag and I was on a really good bull in Montana. And so I'm like, I felt like I needed to go to Wyoming to hunt this tag that I, you know, spent out of non-resident price for But I'm like, why would I go hunt that tag when I'm on elk here? Like a good bull, like the, I'm not going to leave an elk to go to uh a lesser unit, like in all honesty, it was a lesser unit. And so I just never even showed up. And that was like, 
never went to the tag. And I was like, I, that one felt weird. I was like, I feel like I was kind of a waste of a tag. And there's probably somebody that's like, yeah, that's why you don't get those tags and, and then not go. You know, so there's plenty of people that would have loved to get it, but I don't know, such is life. <laughs> it is. And it's like you said, you know, first world problems, right? Like there's, right. <laughs> you know, it, you're still hunting elk, you're still pursuing elk. Um, I think in my younger years, I was more like into, you know, I, I literally like to just fill every single tag I had. If I had three elk tags, I I'd make sure that every single one of those was filled now. And like, I don't know. I, I mean, and I'm sure my, my mind will change the older I get, but as of right now, I'm, I'm kind of a selective hunter to where I'm like, I would rather kill one big bull elk than three average elk. Totally. You know, and not totally. to say that I'm not like, I still have to fill the freezer at the end of the year. So like, let's say I pass up a bunch of elk. I don't end up killing that big bull I'm after. And then, you know, in, in our particular area, we have, what's called a, it's a cow elk tag, like in the, in the later months. And, you know, I would fill my, you know, I'm willing to shoot one of those to fill the freezer if I have to, Yep. but, but I want to make sure at first that. I don't miss out on an opportunity killing a big bull. Like my, my goal every single year is to go and kill a big bull elk off the mountain. And so that's, that's my goal. And, you know, and, and what I've been really getting into as well as aging, like aging is mm. really fun. You know, you'll kill an elk and you're like, how old is this bull? You know? And sometimes you, you, you'll be surprised on the age on some of these elk you'll kill elk that you think are just at their prime and they're way beyond their prime. Yeah. So I think that's, I, my buddy Dione just posted about this and, you know, he like, he, same thing, aging and like you guessing the ages. And it's crazy how, you know, you could think that a bull's like, oh man, this thing's, you know, it's going to be so old and it's not, or the other way around, you're like, man, you know, this is a, uh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, five, six year old bull. And it's like super old. It's crazy to how that works. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I'd love to actually get into that, but we'll, we'll go back and say, so you, you head back to Idaho, you go to look for this big bull you found uh, you know, what, what happens? Did you, did you end up turning them up again? So I did, but here was, I, I started realizing, um, with him and I go back into hunting smarter and not so hard. And what I realized was the more I was pushing him during the archery season, I was pushing him in some really nasty places, places with heavy alders, thick brush, heavy timber. And he really enjoyed staying actually, you know, when I gave him a break, he preferred the openings. He preferred places where I can actually visibly see him. And means that I was getting toward the end of the archery season, it was, it, again, I, I had to do that. I had to make a really tough decision to back out because knowing that if I just come back in rifle season and if he's in that sweet spot still, I had multiple photos of this bull on trail camera. He wasn't leaving the area. He, he loved it in there. And, and so I actually, toward the very, very end of the archery season, I went elsewhere to see what I can find for elk. And I just kept the trail camera in there. Um, I will say, though, that it was about four or five days prior to the elk season, um, I stopped getting photos of him. And so um, I was starting to get a little worried. I was like, ah, I think he left the country. But I was, the, it was actually the opening day of season. I went in there. And it was just downpouring rain. And you could already tell, you know, with the elk, the, the rut is slowing down. The bulls are pulling away from the cows. Um, that was kind of a concern of mine because 
a lot of this, a lot of these areas where there's heavy timber and stuff, you know, if you don't have a bull talking, you know, you have to do some timber pounding and other type techniques. But when you're actually pursuing one particular bull, it can be somewhat of a needle in a haystack, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but I did have, like I said, I I had a rough idea where he was going to live. You know, there was no snow that pulled him out of the high country just yet. So I was still assuming that he was still a pie, but it was just a downpouring rainy day. And I did hear a faint, just a solo bugle. And I was like, Ooh, I I think he's in the same Canyon that I've been seeing him in. And I just kind of waited the storm. Kid you not. I sat down under a tree under spruce and just built a fire. And I waited four hours for the fog to lift. And as soon as the fog lifted, I got eyes on him and he was just, he was in the post rut mode. I mean, like I said, he did, although he did give me a bugle in the fog, which was one single bugle throughout the entire day. Um, he was by himself and he was just browsing on brush. And it's just like, like I said, he was just given that post rut vibe. And well, I just set up the seven Psalm and set up the video camera. Great video. That's the tough part about hunting is trying to film your own hunts, but I got the video camera set up on him and, and I was able to get a shot on him before the fog rolled back in. I was, it was just that I, I was fighting that fog where I'm like, set the camera, get, get on the gun, fog would roll through completely lose sight of him. As soon as the fog lifted, he was feeding in a different spot. And it was, it was this little, it was, it was a little hectic, you know, especially if you're by yourself and you're trying to do everything. Um, So many times I could have just left the camera in the pack. And and on top of that, being that it was just raining, like, you know, my camera equipment's not waterproof. So you're also dealing with that obstacle. Totally. (laughs) Throw my hunting hat on by giving a little cam- canopy for the, the camera, um, you know, but there's something to be said when you can get your own hunt on video to where you can re- watch that video afterwards. It's, you know, like, it's just like it, it preserves the memory of the hunt. Um, you get yeah, more patience to- than I do trying to set up a camera. I would have ditched that camera two seconds into that situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I know it's, it can be a little hectic and, um, but yeah, finally I was able to get a great shot on the bull, 400 yards, and he just he piled up in the brush there. Um, I was, I mean, as the crow flies about six miles back, so um, I had to work him up. So, I mean, it was pretty late in the evening too, so I mean, I was I had to work him up solo most of the night. I, I felt like I didn't even start hiking until about 10 o'clock at night, oh, um, and I, uh, yeah, and it was, and I decided I'm like I don't want to make too many trips back. So I did two front quarters on my pack to get out two fronts and hung the rest of the meat and then brought, um, thankfully both my brothers were able to get time off work and they came up and helped me get the rest. And so that's a pretty, pretty deep pack out. Yeah, man, that's crazy. And you know, there's a couple of things in there. I, I would love to hear you talk about two things. I want to talk about like just staying on a bowl. Um, you know, it's kind of like what we call like the 301. So for a lot of years, we've kind of said like, you know, 101 is kind of when you just go out and you're kind of wandering around the woods uh, and you're, you're trying to get lucky. You're trying to figure this whole thing out. And then when you get to that 201 level, it's the guys that are 
consistently killing, you know, mature bulls. And then you get to the 301 and the 301 is like the guys that can target one specific bull and, you know, stay after that bull. And to me, it's like, man, that is so, so difficult. And I know sometimes it just works out. You know, this bull happened to live in the same spot. It wasn't like he went to a different side of the mountain and you were just like, oh, there he is. But I know you kind of have spent a lot of time targeting, you know, bulls that you find. Um, what, you know, what have you learned or what advice can you give on that, like that next level of being able to stay with one particular bull for an extended amount of time and trying to find him again on the mountain? Yeah, yeah that's a great question. Um, I'd say one thing for me is finding your window of opportunity. You know, if, if everything's not right, I don't go in you know, especially if archery, you know, like archery, you got the wind, it's swirling, you know, like, and it's a bull that you're really wanting to kill. It's one thing if like, you're going on a road trip and let's say it's the last day of season, right? Okay. Like, okay. The wind's swirling, but you only, you know, you're just got to go in and try something, you know, you can't kill it without trying. But if I actually have a bull that I've been pursuing and he's in a good spot, like a good spot to kill him. Um, like last thing I want to do is push him out of there. And so like in this scenario too, like I know, and I have pushed him like the first week of season, I pushed him too hard and he ended up in some pretty nasty country, not even spots where you have archery shots. Like the, the brush is too thick and tall. It's 12 foot tall brush. And so, you know, I had to wait back out and just wait for him to come back in there and feel comfortable again. And then the way I hunted that area too, is I, I actually hunted it to where, where I'd start my, my bugling process in that thick stuff. And so if he chose to run, it kind of pushed him back in that Canyon again, I needed Mm. him to stay in there, you know, and that's just that one bull, you know, like my techniques are different with other elk. Um, but you know, for me, um, it's about finding your window of opportunity. Um, and just, you know, you're the one thing I always try to do too, is just, I try to put myself in the mind of the elk. I know it sounds a little cliche, but you know, a lot of people don't want to know where to hunt and, it's about where and, and all that. But for me, it's why, like, why does a big bull like that area? You know, why does a big bull behave that way? You know, I don't go in aimlessly. I felt like there was a time when I was younger where I did, and we used to have the numbers, you know, that was before the wolves. And so, you know, you messed up one elk or like, okay, well, there's another one in the next drainage, you know, and you'd have multiple archery opportunities that just never work. But you know, as, you know, time went on and we had wolves move in and now, you know, like you have to target elk. And I think it's really neat that we, you know, especially in archery season, my brother and I, you know, we'll tag team an elk, one elk for a week, you know, and if you don't pressure them too hard, they'll stay in there. And, you know, if, you know, the other, you know, hunting pressure and predation, those two things, can push an elk out of the canyon for a bit, especially an old mature bull. He's not afraid to leave cows. You know, I, I noticed like a lot of cows will actually have the same routes and routines, but during the rut, a big bull that's mature, you know, he's, he's a little bit smarter than a rag bull. That's just, you know, you know, some of those rag bulls are just almost like drunk, you know, in love, you know, with these <laughs> so cows. It's like a teenager chasing girls. Right. Yeah. And these big herd bulls, I feel like they, they, a lot of them that I've pursued, they've just got up and left for mm-hmm. an entire week if yeah. I pushed them too hard. And then all I've got is those cows. And then you'll see a couple of new younger bulls come in and take over the herd. 
but then all of a sudden that big guy will just come back, you know? And so, um, I really play it careful and, um, you know, it was years and years of experience. I've pushed big bulls out of canyons before, you know, like three or four drainages away. And so, um, I really like, I, but I live with the elk too. Like I, I spent a lot of time in the mountains with them and watching them and trying to make sure that I make my play right too. So I'm um, just putting the time, taking the time off work to do that. Yeah. I'd be curious, you know, how we tell people, we tell newer hunters often that they need to be more aggressive. And a lot of times that is true. I think a lot of people aren't aggressive enough. And then, you know, I a thousand percent agree when you're targeting that 301 level bull, it's a lot of patience. It's making sure that's the right situation and you're choosing the right time to go after them and making sure you have that option. It totally is different. I was the same way, you know, in, I would say two thousands, you know, early two thousands, it was like, you just bugle chase elk and off to the next one. You know, we screwed it up way more, but there was always another elk to be had. And nowadays it's definitely tougher. How do you, what advice would you give to like people about knowing when to be aggressive and when to be, and when to be patient, when to wait for that next opportunity, the right opportunity, because it's kind of a slippery slope. A lot of it depends on what you're looking for. You know, if you're hunting that, that solo big bull or that, that big herd bull, or if you're just like, man, I want to kill an elk, but like, what's your, what's your take or what advice do you have? That's a great question. Um, so <laughs> like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that is a really good question. So there is a balance. Right. And right. I feel like so many people are like, like extreme opposites, like, and I'll give you a prime example. I have two different types of friends. I have, I have one friend who just chase, he's a chaser, right? Like, you know, he, he pursues elk. He's really aggressive, like to the next level. I also have friends that just never, ever, they're always afraid of making a mistake. Right. So they get, they finally find a herd of elk to pursue and they're too afraid to go in there and make a move. And they back out the next day, the elk are gone, you know? Um, for me, I try to lean a little bit more of being the guy to get the one that gets after it. Right. I will try everything in my power to make a move on an elk, everything in my power. But I also know too, that like, you know, if like, and I'll use the prime example, if there's a big bull that just moved in the area and I know he's not going to stay long, sure as heck, I'm going to make a move on him. I'm like, I got to try. Cause I, if I don't try today, he's not going to be there tomorrow. You know, but if there's a spot, like, you know, like I said, with this bull, like I've just, and and it's not just knowing that bull, I have histories with his cows. His cows go to the same drainage every single year and they attract new bulls in that drainage every single year. I know those cows routes and what they take. And so for me, I need to keep, let those cows continue their route. I'm not Mm. there to kill them. They're, you know, we want those cows to stay up there. Yeah, you know, I'm there to kill. I'm I'm there to kill the big boy, and so as long as I can keep the cows there, he's got to come back. If I do push him, um, typically I do try, like you know, in this scenario. So the first week of season. So now I'm going back in time. Um, my first instinct on a herd bull is first establish: is he a herd bull or not? If I hear a bugle in the woods, I'm like, is he a herd bull? Is he not? Um, you know, I'll try cow calls. I'll try a couple of methods. If he starts to run, I immediately know I'm like, okay, he's a herd bull. I got to change my method. So I try to turn back, turn him back up again. I um, in that scenario I did. So I did turn him back up again and he was in that open country where I can see him. And I was like, oh, that's a nice bull. You know, I got some good video of him, 
you know, you, you know, just a big heavy six. No, like just, just looking, I'm just like, yeah, that that's a bull. I, I need to go kill, you know? And so I was like, well, so the first thing I was like, I'm a ways back and I wasn't really planning for a day like that, to, you know, during the archery season. So I, I looked in my pack. I'm like, okay, I got enough snacks. I can do it. Like, even I have to walk <laughs> out in the dark, I don't care. You know, I'll spit, I'll stay up there all day. And I just, I just stayed in his bedroom pretty much all day. You know, I, I was just really cautious with the wind, but I was like, you know, I just need to make something work. And I just watched the wind. I moved in on him. Um, it was about one o'clock in the afternoon and I finally just, I did, I actually charged in there. I, uh, I started to challenge bugle and started to rake the cows started to move. He started to move. And then just, I just went, I just went, I literally charged like it was war charged in there <laughs> and I pushed him out immediately, you know? So he ran out of the country. I'm like, gosh, okay. Obviously that was not the right method. So I backed <laughs> out and gave him a couple days and then I turned him back up again like I said, it was, I saw him, he moved back in again. Um, but that's when I had to leave to Wyoming and I couldn't continue to pursue the bull. Um, I try to not, I think the other thing too, with people is they think that calling is the only method and it isn't, you know, um, you know, spot and stock works, just getting it, just, just try to live as close as you possibly can around him without him detecting you is like, probably the biggest key with big herb bulls and just waiting for him to mess up, you know, you know, anytime, you know, midday, um, you know, sometimes he's, he'll push a cow here and there and he's going to, he's going to a chance he's going to walk past you. So I, I try to get as close as I can to those big herb bulls and hopefully they'll mess up. Um, but I'm, I'm also thinking of their escape routes too. So if, if let's say I do push them on accident, I'm also thinking, okay, well, where is he going to escape to? Um, so there's a lot of different methods in going about this. The elk, when he runs from you, he doesn't always think that you're a person. He just think you're another bull trying to take his cows. Mm, yeah. And so, and so it, it you kind of have to identify that too. And, and what they're doing, um, also is understanding their, their vocals. So like, there's like a herbal when he's rounding up his cows, it's a separate sound than when he's bugling and challenging you. It's a very short bugle and it's just, it's, and I, I'm not great with doing it with my own mouth, but it's a very short bugle and he does it multiple times. A lot of people make the mistake. Oh, he's coming in. He's getting fired up. They get set up and all of a sudden he's gone. You know, it's just, it's the call that he uses to round up his cows to get out of the country. Um, but again, I go back to like, okay, like putting my mind in the bull elk, what methods can I do to kill this big guy? You know, do I have to go in there and challenge him in, you know, challenge him in his, in his territory, you know, I, it's always that bubble, you know, like breaking into that bubble and trying to get close to him. That's the best, honestly, the best way I've killed big herd bulls is just breaking that bubble, like getting into that bubble where, you know, there's the, there's the flight or fight, you know, I feel like if you're too far away, he's more of flight. If you're in that bubble, it's fight. Like he, mm -hmm. he knows that you're too close. If the greatest thing, actually, some people get discouraged when I jump cows, I get excited. As long as I didn't jump him, that's the time to bugle and try to challenge him and rake, start raking, you know, start getting aggressive with your bugles. And, you know, the, what the best thing is when you start hearing him imitate you, he starts mm -hmm, getting yep. aggressive <laughs> with his bugles. You start hearing him rake too. And it's like, okay, he's getting ready to fight. Now, you know, he's already, 
he's showing you signs that he's getting ready to fight you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyways, I can go on and on. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. I'd be curious to, to hear you dive into like the Colorado, or you could use Wyoming as an example too, is like when you, when you guys show up, say you and your brother show up to a state, you've never been to that unit before. Like, what is your system for like finding out for figuring out the unit? Um, I know there's a lot of e-scouting and you're like, oh, I want to go here, but I think the, you know, the proof is always in the pudding when like boots on the ground, you got to go find elk in a place you've never been to before. Uh, you know, like what's, what's your kind of guys' go-to system for, for that in a new place. So I am very attracted to mountains for some reason. Like I am attracted to mountains. I am attracted to cool places with water. Like those are the places I typically like to go to. So I typically end up going high which that's not always the greatest uh, method, but <laughs> I always go high first and then I work my way down. Yeah. So, you know, that just, you know, I love hunting the mountains, but I also know too, like those cool places, it's still September. So it's hot out. The elk are going to find places that are cool, you know, to bed down during the day and more water, the better. Um, so I'm, I'm looking for those high elevation places. Um, Trevor's, you know, so like when we did Trevor's hunt, like, um, we kind of same thing, you know, the unit's big. It was actually a pretty big unit, a lot of flat country, but we went right to the mountains. You know, we checked the rounds and what we have noticed, um, were actually some of the cows were a little bit lower in elevation. So we established pretty quickly on um, where the cows were. And as this, as the rut started to kick in, we were watching new bulls coming in every single day, but you know, sometimes, you know, keep, you know, it's the same way method I use for mule deer hunting in the rut. I'm always keeping a, like, I'm keeping a mental note where the cows are, mm -hmm. um, you know, where the females are. Cause that's what the bulls are doing. They're going to breed. And so, um, we would, there'd be herds, like a couple herd of a couple herds in different areas where you would see a new bull coming every day. And you would, we'd see like, you know, on Trevor's unit, for example, and it was a good tag, by the way. Um, we would see like a, we'd see like a, probably a 280 class six point in there, you know, first time we were in there following day, about a 310, 315 bull next day, about a 330 bull next day, all of a sudden it would just go back down. Like it was just like, I don't know if just a young bull had a better fight or what, but all of a sudden it was like that we saw this big one horn five point. And prior to that, there was a big shooter bull in the herd. I'm like, how in the heck did that one horn five point fight that big bull off. And I have watched that happen. I've watched like younger bulls knock down the bulls, you know, knocked out the bulls that we were pursuing. It's like, dang it. Why do they do that? <laughs> um, but you know, we got to see this system. And in fact, that one particular spot, there's this one particular spot where we consistently saw big bulls coming in and checking those cows out. And that's when by day four of the hunt, Trevor killed his bull. It was a three, I think he's, we, we grow scoring 341. Nice. And yeah, he was a great bull, great bull in that country. And that was there bigger. There was, um, but we also did have to fight the obstacle. Thank goodness for online maps. You know, um, we use Onyx typically, um, you know, there was a lot of private ground where we couldn't hunt. We were kind of isolated. Right. We did see a true 380 that was chasing Ooh. cows 
all we could do is just film it. He was about 150 yards from the line. <laughs> he oh was like, goodness. not used to hunting country like that. Usually you see an elk to pursue, you pursue. Now it's like, yeah. you just have to sit there and watch your dream walk away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know which is worse, not seeing it or seeing it and not be able to hunt it. I think it's a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that true. It was fun just seeing the amount of elk in there though, too. That was, that was a hoot. Um, and then what about Colorado? Colorado? I mean, Colorado, is it, like, are you guys pretty good? Like, I would say, like, I can usually throw a dart at a board and find elk. Um, sometimes you have to work for it, but I think, you know, you do it long enough and you kind of like, you can look at a map, you can look at Onyx and say, oh, that's going to have elk in it. Um, but sometimes you got to like, man, just scour the unit. Colorado is one of those places where, you know, you go there and if, uh, man, I would think that if you went to the high country, there'd be every, you know, 150 of your best friends up there. But, you know, like, kind of just like, you know, what's your kind of go-to for like, okay, let's figure this unit out. And maybe Wyoming's not the best example because it was like, you know, premium tag. So there's probably, you know, elk almost everywhere, but not quite. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, yeah. And that wouldn't have been, like you said, wasn't the greatest example because there was actually quite a few elk in there. Um, But the Colorado, definitely same ordeal where, you know, like I hunted it way I would hunt on a general tag. And that is we went hot (laughs) and you know, we were above tree line, um, you know, still, you still got the warmer months and, you know, find that, that food and water source up high. And, um, um, we saw lots of herds, I mean, almost immediately right off the bat. So we, you know, we did find a spot on a map and, um, we, we chose the camp in there. Um, I'd like to say by about, eight or nine o'clock the first morning, Travis started to bull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, went, it was a little bit easier than we thought, but there was a lot of elk, you know, and you know, that first morning above tree line, we probably saw, um, there was just in that one basin. It like, you know, like it was to us, it was obvious. Like you'd look at on maps. It's like that it's just this beautiful bowl like this, where you got all this like bunch of different creeks all run to one bigger Creek. Um, and a bunch of little drainages coming off there. I mean, you bugle and you're bugling at three different drainages, you know. Coming oh, to yeah, yeah. And so, so how did it happen that fast? You get just show up and like it was at luck or how what how did it go down? So we we showed up and we got into a bunch of bugling. Um, and so rather than you know, we you know it's kind of in a timber pocket. So what we did is we actually got some elevation and got above tree line so we can get eyes on where these elk were. Um, you know, first light, you know, before the sun rises, you know, when the sun gets warm, everything beds down in the heavy timber, everything's still feeding at night. So they're feeding above tree line. So we got above tree line, got eyes on what's bugling at us. And we had a herd on our side of the ridge, um, small six point, very small six point, hardly a six point with a bunch of cows, probably about 20 or 30 cows on the other side of the ridge to our left. We saw another herd with a probably young five point. Then across them the other way, we saw like an like a decent six by six with a herd of cows. And you know, we we talked to each other about that. It's like, well, that bull looks like he's worth hunting. And he was just going nuts. Like he was going nuts, screaming at cows, raking. I'm like, I mean, just seeing his demeanor, I'm like, this bull would come into a fight. Like yeah. he is hot. And we're not at this point, we're not even bugling at him. We're just watching him, right? but we have to get in that bubble. He's not going to leave those cows. And so we, we contemplated Travis that thought about, it. he's like, you know, we do have two tags. I'll pursue that bull. So we got in there, got right. And it's just right below him. Wait for the wind to switch. You know, we watched the thermals 
soon as the sun rose, the thermals started blowing down the Creek. And so we got right below him and it just happened really fast where Trav set up. I threw one screen bugle and he just beelined, just came running right in, you know, and which is the perfect scenario for a herd bull, right? Yeah. I just get done telling someone like that never happens, but like it does. does. (laughs) Here you are proving wrong. Yeah. We just walked up, bugled him. He ran in, we shot him. It was 8 a.m. first day. Yeah. I mean, it happens, I guess. (laughs) It it does. And it did on that. And it did on that. And then Traff stuck it and, um, and you'll have to watch the video. So it's one of those weird deals. Do you shoot expandables? You ever shot those before? Any uh, I So I've shot fixed blades my entire life. Uh, and then this year I shot expandables, killables, expandable. Uh, well, I guess last year I did on deer, but not on elk. So I just, I just switched and now I run a little bit of both. So I run, I have a couple fixed blades, a couple expandables, kind of just based on the situation. Yeah. So we've we've noticed something this year because this is the first year us trying the expandables and we weren't getting really good penetration and it could just possibly be the brand um travis drilled that bull like when he ran that bull ran right past me i got a great video of it you could see the blood just pouring right out and it's just right you know dead center lungs um just an ideal shot the arrow you see in slow motion the arrow sticking out like this far though no penetrate and it sat there, and as the elk ran, you see the arrow just break. Yeah, oh, so no. a little bit of arrow in him. And it took that bull four hours to die. That was so painful. I'm just like, what, what? in the world? Like, you know, that was like we watched it as we sat there and waited for that bull to die. You know, we we bumped him, so we're like, well, let's stay back. We're gonna have to wait. Um, rule of thumb, you know, if you get a perfect shot, it's usually half hour wait, go in and find him. If you realize, oh, this bull's having trouble with dying, we're we're not sure what happened. Usually it's four hours. You have to give him four hours. You know, if that's a gut, if it's a liver shot, one lung, whatever. In this scenario, we were really confused. We're like, how's this bull not dead? We rewatched the video over and over again. It's like, I don't know where you would put that arrow. Right. Like where else? You know, it's like, that's exactly where you want it. And so we waited four hours and we finally started moving in on there. And we heard him breathing. You could hear this wheezing. So Travis just snuck in, you know, and I just stayed right behind him with the video camera. And then we just got him right. We got above him right where he was bed. And then you, he finished him off with a fixed blade. And the fixed blade, of course, went all the way through. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. And, and I'm not dissing him, but also um, one of my friends who runs a high fence elk ranch in Southern Idaho, uh, he said that, almost every time someone shoots a fixed blade on an elk, like good chances, you're going to need a second arrow. Uh, so you mean a, you mean a, um, expandable? Oh, sorry, sorry. An expandable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes. Thank Yeah. Thank you for correcting me. So, um, he says like for him, he's seen more bad than good with them. Um, although Trevor, my little brother, Trevor, he, he archery two bulls this year with expandables and he, he killed both of them, you know? Dude, I go back and forth. Like uh, my buddy, Sam Davis, like he's an absolute slayer. You know, he even killed a Buffalo with, you know, uh, an expandable broadhead, like everything he shoots dies and and he's killed a lot of game. The problem I have. So I I was shooting kudus and I've shot a number of fixed blades. It just felt like I didn't have a ton of confidence in those, you know, outside of 60 yards. And so I think if you're like, you know, in that 30, 40 range, of course, like, you know, I think the fixed blades do well. 
And I understand like, you got to have a great tune bow. I, I have a great tune bow. And it just felt like, man, every once in a while you catch this flyer where you're like, what the hell was that? You know? And it's like, man, I don't have a lot of faith in that. And, you know, the other thing is like, when hunting Eastern Montana, I feel like I'm always in the wind. And so like, you know, shooting them in the wind, when you really compare them, I have so much confidence and maybe this is false confidence, but I have so much confidence in the accuracy of, you know, the severs that I'm shooting that I'm like, I, I really trust those a lot more sometimes than the kudu. And so like when it boils down to confidence now, who knows, everything can go sideways. I've seen it go both ways. So, you know, whatever. And, you know, this year I killed, like I killed my bull and made a bad shot and that, that sever did its job, went all the way through and killed that bull. Had it been a fixed blade, I don't know that it would have killed that elk. So like, it could be the other way around, you know, like it's, I've seen both, yeah. both stories, but you do hear a lot of people in my good buddy, J- James Nash, he'll, you know, bash <laughs> expandables all the time. Uh, it, I just think, man, there's, it's so situational. That's why I carry both for me. And I'm like, I, I want to have the confidence that, you know, that 60, 65 yard shot, like it's going to 12 ring. I'd rather 12 ring and have the sever than shoot a kudu. And all of a sudden I like, you know, 12 inches back or something. Like, I really don't want that to happen. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting debate. I I don't, I kind of like I'm I'm on both teams, I guess. I don't really have a team. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I'm the same way. Like I'm a very open-minded individual myself and I'm willing to try something new, but I also am the person too, where I'm like, Gosh, why change something if you got a system too, yeah. right? You got a right. you got a broadhead. Honestly, the broadheads I've personally been shooting are the same broadheads I was shooting 12 years ago. Yeah. And they seem to fly well with my bow. They're actually not that expensive of a broadhead. I, I shoot the strikers. Mm. And, yeah. and I've killed a lot of elk with them. And you know, like you said, like, and my little brother, he'd probably tell you the other story. Like he he shot expandables on both his elk. Yeah. Now he's a believer. <laughs> he's a believer. And so yeah. Trav on the other hand, and, and me watching his, but the funny thing was I watched Wyoming. I was with Trevor in Wyoming and saw how quick that bull died. Uh, that was, you know, it was quartering away and he, he shot, you know, back here, but then it, it, you know, the, it was popping out right here and man, that bull, he didn't go far. Like he just, he ran down the hill and he just laid right down and just put his head down. Like, Pretty, yeah, done. pretty quick death. Pretty quick death. And if you actually watch the entrance, it didn't look great. But but the angle, you know, the you yeah, know, yeah. you have to angle them in, you know, to to get the lungs um, when they're quartering away like that. But anyways, it I was a believer with that. And you saw the cutting diameter yeah. that thing made. It was unreal. And then after seeing that, what happened with Travs and we dissected it, that you know, and I think it was severs, they're the ones that uh they, when they open up, they, they kind of swivel. Mm-hmm. Is that, is yep. that, yeah. So that's the one Travis is shooting. So what happened is he pretty much dead centered a rib with that. Mm. And like and the it, rib was just cut in half and that thing opened right up and just didn't go. You know, it just almost like it stopped the arrow, which I, I know I've, I mean, with field tips, I've, or not field, sorry, not field tips. Don't shoot an elk with field tips. <laughs> with fixed blade, sorry, with a fixed blade. <laughs> <laughs> with a fixed blade it just zips right, right through yeah time, you know and but like you said it's just all situational same thing with you know you start shooting those farther ranges eastern montana 80 90 yard shots which everybody you know everybody has their own opinion what's what's an ethical distance right i'm not mm-hmm. even going to get in the argument with that um 
like the the fix or sorry the uh expandables your accuracy is going to be way better out farther yeah and my yeah. field points shoot awesome so i'm just going to use those next year <laughs> yeah field points are great right <laughs> yeah so no way yeah. more accurate <laughs> yeah yeah don't do that don't do that <laughs> uh, i we, we talked about doing a story along the lines of you know a bull that you chase for for a few years i i love those stories you know people give other people crap for like name an elk or whatever but like I don't know, whenever you have a history with an elk and you hunt it multiple years, like there's just something so special about killing that bull. I mean, like, man, finally, you know, it worked out. I don't know if it's just because we think about it in the off season, like, ah, I'm going to get that bull. Uh, But do you have, like, do you have one of those stories you want to share? Just a bull that you chased for multiple years? Yeah. So I had this one and I knew of him originally, just like some people have bumped into him and seen him, you know, um, a time or two. Um, but the first time I laid eyes on him, he was a big, he was a big seven by seven. And I mean, gorgeous bull. He had a big frame, like a, like he had a frame of a three thirty bull and his stickers just came out this far off the side. Just, oh, and yeah. you know, when I saw him, I'm like, you know, at the point when I saw him at first, I was like, that's a three fifty bull, you know, and this in some public land general tag. I'm like, I want that bull dead. And so. I pursued that bull that particular year, the entire year and, you know, on and off. And, you know, and again, I, I, the first instinct I did, or the first, the first method I went about, I was like, okay, I'm going to treat this bull like any herd bull. I'm going to try to get in this territory, you know, get, you know, get close enough to where he feels like he has to fight. And, you know, I challenged him and he busted out of there. In fact, he left his cows. Oh, wow. Like, he to the point he left his cows. Yeah. And so this is the bull that I'm talking about where he, so he actually left his cows completely. And I'm like, oh, shoot. And so I went back there multiple times, couldn't find him again. And a week later, he showed back up with the cows. So I'm like, so I tried a different method where I'm like, well, I want to say it was 100% different. I was like, okay, let's, let's try to challenge him again, but a, a different approach, you know? And, um, so I tried to first just live with him, you know, it was a really foggy day and I was just getting really close to just like, I can hear him bugling with his cows. I'm just moving in closer and closer and closer. I'm like, I don't want to bugle, but if I have to, you know, um, and I just moved and then I started busting cows. I'm like, gosh, dang it. I'm busting cows. So I'm like, okay, I better challenge this guy. So I challenged him. He, he screamed and he started to run. I'm like, not again. And it was in the fog. And this is where this story gets a little weird, but hear me out. So I get to, I, I'm following him in the fog and I get to the edge of this cliff. And it's, I mean, it's just vertical, right? And I see that's where his tracks were last. And I just see like where something slid off the cliff. I'm like, did I just chase this bull off the cliff? Like Buffalo I like, jumped him. <laughs> I almost thought I did. So I was like, um, maybe I need to look for Ravens in the next couple of days <laughs> so so a couple of days later right i get eyes on him again he's limping hard no way yeah he's got a limp now but he's still like he's still like when he you know he loved to live in the rocks so the one thing i thought was really fascinating about this bull is you know the wolves like to run the ridge top like it's kind of this nice flat hog back that the wolves like to run and then they kind of wrap around and go back he would always like to push his cows into the cliffs 
he found I found out like when he lived with the mountain goats that he would actually be a lot safer. And so he actually kind of lived in a very cliffy area. He liked the cliffs, but you know, and here he, now he had a limp, but he was still like, he'd book it through there, you know, if I messed up on it. And so multiple times I made several attempts that fall and I did not get him, you know, and I ended up, I had him on the list and, you know, you're talking about names. So he was, I named him bull number one. And then uh, about three, three drainages over, there was a, I, there's a bull I named bull number two. <laughs> so original. So, dude. So original. <laughs> yeah. So I was really creative on the names. Right. <laughs> um, so I, so toward the very end of the season, I finally, I kind of surrendered and, and I wouldn't say surrender, but I get, when I give him a break, I go for bull number two, long story short, bull number two gave me a shot and I killed him. Um, he was a six by seven. And he was a younger bull. Um, I didn't age him, but he was probably, he's probably like five. I mean, he was a great, pretty, pretty rack in line seven on the one side, but, um, but he had a young demeanor to him, you know, didn't, didn't seem like an old bull, but anyways. So then I found that. So I went back and I was like, I got to find this big guy sheds this spring, you know? So I ended up not just picking up his fresh ones. I picked up his year before sheds too. And so I got to see where he was shedding, you know, and, and I now I was like, okay, so I, you know, I set trail cams in there in the area. I, I actually did not get any trail cam photos of him, but it was actually, you know, getting to the point where I'm like, gosh, like, I don't know about this bull because the more I pursued him, the more and more people, they saw my truck park there and more people knew like something was up. And I'd have people confront me and say, are you pursuing that big bull that's living up in that drainage? <laughs> and I'm just like, and it was getting to a point where like, I'm like, gosh, should I even bother this elk? You know, like I'm not the only guy hunting this elk at this point. And I heard a lot of guys pursuing him during the rifle season the year prior to. So now this is year two, right? So this is year two going into the upcoming elk season. I got his sheds. I got two years of sheds to him at this point. And my brother turns him up. He's like, Tom, I found that big bull you're after. And that was honestly a little like I was burnt out on that bull. I'm like, yeah, Trav, I'm like, I'm like, I'll be honest though. I I don't know if that bull is killable. Like he's <laughs> so here's the thing, and I will I will argue with those who say every bull's callable. I I wish that I would put this anybody, anybody that says, I wish I would give them a shot at this bull to see what they could do. Cause I promise you this bull was not callable. You can let out a cow call and he'd run like whatever call you'd use, he'd run and you could change it up and anything like That's this. Bull crazy. Just did not want to, he did, didn't care. Yeah. Just did not care. And so finally, you know, and I've tried spot and stalking him too, but I, you know, I'd see him bedded down and I try spot stalking him in the cliffs and the cows would always bust me. So here was my last method or our last option. And my brother brought this up. He's like, how about if we try catch him at his escape route? And, and he, you know, and he, you know, emphasized that like, I personally knew all the escape routes. I've, I've pursued this bull for an entire year during the archery season. I saw what he could do during the rifle season too. Um, 
bike, I was pretty well, I was well aware of, you know, if, if I pushed him, he had multiple escape routes, but it was usually like, it was like, if he got pushed here, he usually runs through here. If he gets pushed here, usually runs through here, you know? So, um, so what we decided to do was my brother, Travis, you know, he had a general tag as well. He's like, I'll try calling this bull. If he doesn't come to me, you're going to be set up at the escape route. And at first I was like, Travis, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. But I was <laughs> it's like, never going to work. It's never going to work. But I was like, you know what? It's worth a shot. You know, I've, I've already used all my ammo on him in the sense that like, I've tried everything in my power to kill that bull from calling from spawn stock and everything else. And the, the herd was just so big, like trying to spawn stock him was nearly impossible. There's always a cow in the way. Right. So I'm like, yeah, the escape route's probably our best option. So I got up pretty early to hike. I had to start hiking at 2.30 in the morning. And I got myself way above the cliffs where this bull typically goes up. Like he, he likes right at the base of the cliffs, there's a bunch of brows that him and the cows feed in. When the sun rises, they go up in the cliffs and they bed down in some crazy place where you're just like, why in the world would they want to bed there, right? <laughs> like no like, elk should be there. <laughs> yeah, like with the mountain goats more or less. And, and so I got up there first light and I can hear my brother in the, you know, in the lower elevation bugling. And I can hear that big, but that big guy answer back. And he just immediately started to run for my brother. And I'm like, all right, sit up and I'm set up and ready to go. And I'm, and there's two different draws he can come up. And so I'm kind of just like, I'm trying to move back and forth and listen for where the bugles at. That's all I have at this point. I'm just, that bull is just responding to his cows at this point. And, but then, you know, honestly, like two, two and a half hours went by and it went quiet. And I was like, did a, did he go a different route? And, it, and, it, and another foggy day out of all days, right? Another foggy day to where I couldn't really see. And I, I stopped hearing him and I was up there. Just, I got to a point, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm like, I'm just going to sit here, relax and eat kind of a little cliff bar. And my bow's on the ground. I had my bow, I had my arrow knocked, like, or not knocked, but it was actually back in my quiver because I was actually thinking that maybe he, he busted me. So I'm sitting there eating my cliff bar and all of a sudden the herd starts single filing past me. I'm like, oh no, you <laughs> got to be kidding me. It's like, I've worked, you know, this is the second year I'm after this bull. And this is the opportunity I've been waiting for. That's like, you have got to be kidding. My heart sank and I just went flat belly, right? Like I am flat on my belly right now. And he, I see him pop up with the cows. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And the other issue was, is that trail. So he, they came up at about 70 yards and the trail actually comes toward me and then wraps back up the hill. And so when the trail actually comes toward me, those cows actually were, he was still at like 60 yards plus and his cows were at 15. And I'm like, this is bad this is all going bad. <laughs> and I'm like, and I just oh, had a concrete in my mouth and I just like, I knock an arrow and I got my arrow back out and I'm like, gosh, this is happening. And those cows had me pinned. Right. And I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden I had a couple of cows bust and I just yanked that bow back. I just went, whoosh, and I just went, ew, ew, ew. just kept them still with that cow reed. And all the cows, there was cows that busted uphill cows busted downhill and he just froze. He like, he just didn't know what to do. And he just froze. And again, it's another debate. Some people don't like frontals. I'm like, 
you know, I've actually knock on wood every frontal I've taken on an elk so far and one on a moose died really quickly. You just got to hit them in the right spot, right? It's a small window, yeah, yeah. small pocket, but you got to find it. But it can be deadly. And it's a very deadly shot. So anyways, I just, and I kept them stopped. And I just, I was like, that's my chance on that frontal. And I shot, drilled him and he just ran down the hill. And so I got in contact with my brother, you know, gave him some time and he went up there and we were in the fog, like thick, thick fog where like, if I was looking for blood away from my brother, like about 15, 20 yards away, we couldn't see each other. It was real. It just, it just really socked in at that point. And um, it was, it was a surprise that I even had a shot on that bull in the first place. Um, but then the fog lifted. And then at that point, I'm like, Oh, there he is. He's laying there dead. So, <laughs> no way. That's crazy. <laughs> It was a relief. Dude, was, that's was, crazy. What a yeah. cool story. Um, it was. Yeah. And the thing is, he shrunk a lot, though, which was a bummer deal compared to his sheds. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, like it was, it was more on his kickers. His frame was about the same. He lost a little on his tops, he gained on his bottoms, and his stickers. This is what's painful. So the sheds that I have, his stickers were, I had a fort, like on one side was 14 inch sticker coming off the side. Wow. And it went to an eight. And I was like, of course, what, what did he age out at? Did you age him? He was eight. Eight, oh, eight, eight years old. Man. That's but crazy. you think he's still grown. Yeah. You'd I've had guys... Oh, sorry. What were you saying? Oh yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. Like you think he'd still be, you know, pretty prime and eight years old. Uh, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't think he'd start dropping until 12. Oh yeah. It's weird. I don't know about these elk. Yeah, they're just, and they seem to tap out like at six. Like, and th that seemed to happen. I mean, that's with this bull. Like, when I have, I have two years of sheds to him. And honestly, his frame never changed. You yeah, know, just his lost it. was getting bigger. And then there's also the possibility, too, that with that injury, you know, he did heal up, by the way. So he didn't have that limp anymore um, that, that year I killed him. But, I possibly that affected the antler growth. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? No, that's interesting. Cause I mean, you see it go the other way too. Like some buck or something gets hit by a car and it blows up. Yeah. So I would guess, you know, if you're chasing a big bull, don't run him off a cliff um, because it might yeah. shrink him. It could definitely could. I would say it definitely could have something to do with it. Um, you know, yeah, it's hard to say. Sometimes it goes the other way, but wouldn't surprise me if it works, you know, in both, uh, in both ways, the linear fashion. That's man. That's interesting. No, that's crazy that he went off a cliff when you were chasing him. That's wild. What would you have done if he's like just laying there, broken neck? You'd be like, "What? I did not see that happen." Yeah, I was just like, I, I I'd feel bad, but I'm like, wow. Like, I'd almost feel kind of like a caveman at the same time. I'm like, wow, did I do that? Did I actually run an animal off the cliff? <laughs> that would be way cooler than like chasing a bull and he jumps over a fence and dies. Like, you know, like because elk will jump over a fence. And, you know, the, just the way they, they land top heavy, like it'll kill an elk. There's a, there's a famous bull from Yellowstone that was called six. And that's the way like, dude, this bull was like, so mean, so aggressive. And, you know, in the end he died by jumping over a fence and, you know, landed with his horns down overnight. And, you know, that was the end of it. And it's like, what a way to go. So I, I guess I'd rather run it off a cliff than, you know, have a bull jump over a fence and die, but I guess either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh well tom but thanks so much for uh jumping on and telling some stories and whatnot you have uh an elk camp coming up uh an elk i guess how, how are you uh what's the title of this that's coming up this summer 
I try to make it simple. So it's, it's just, we, we just have it stuck in our elk camp and this is our second one we're doing. Um, it is in Southeast Idaho. I did mention, you know, my friend who has that high fenced, um, ranch, um, what we have done is we've actually used that his, his ranch and everything to do. Like we teach people how to debone an elk and so they can gain confidence in packing in the back country. Um, we do, you know, we teach everything about archery. Um, so we do, um, some of that as well. Gunworks crew comes out, we do long range shooting. So just a little bit of everything and then hunting tactics from archery to rifle. I think what sets us apart from a lot of others, and I'm not dissing anybody in any way, shape or form, but, um, our family lives with elk and, you know, just quick brief, um, summary or of my background. Now, I grew up around elk. I actually lived most of my life in a wintering range. Like when the elk would pull off, they'd pull right on my parents' property. So I got to see and witness elk. And as a teenager, you know, it gave us a lot of opportunities. But the, then when they sold that area and it's like, okay, well, now I got to hunt public land. With the knowledge that we had, people would have think, you know, you would have thought probably, oh, well, now that these guys don't have that private ground anymore, they're probably not going to kill elk anymore. And it was quite the opposite. Like we watched elk, we, we knew their behavior and our family just continued to kill elk even after that place, you know? And my dad for years and years has killed elk on public land with a bow. Um, you know, even in the, in the late eight, in the eighties, in the late eighties, he was archery hunting and killing elk. And so, um, I also got to experience a lot of that just well, and it wasn't our backyard, you know, you get off that private ground, you get on the mountain, that's all public ground. We were chasing elk a lot up there. So I, I got to watch a lot of those elk, you know, that we got to hunt. And, and I also saw the downfall when the wolves move in too. But anyways, anyways, what I'm saying is like, our family's really aware with the behavior of elk and what they do year round. And so, um, and I've, I've taken this, uh, not just me, my brother, my sister, we'll go in any state in a place where we've never hunted before and we'll still show success. And um, we want to teach you guys as well. Anyone who feels like they've hunted elk, you know, multiple times. I mean, I, I keep on hearing people that have hunted elk for 10 years and they've never killed an elk yet. Yeah. I actually have talked to those people that, you know, hunted elk for 10 years so and got been successful, which is like wild to me, but uh, man, I think these camps are a really great opportunity. Like, I, I love the fact you guys, you know, you actually shoot an animal and, and teach you how to debone it, go through that. Um, I had a buddy who, you know, went on his first hunt this year. And I was just kind of walking him through some stuff, but he, he was like running YouTube as he's trying to gut his first elk. And like, I think there's a ton of confidence that comes with like, oh, this is what's going to happen. Because there's so many unknowns when you like you go on elk hunting and you're like, okay, like, can I do this? What's it like? Well, all these things. So I think it's super cool. I, I love these camps. I mean, you were at Lampers last year when I was there and uh, you know, like this just is such a cool experience. Uh, and you know, there, you could go to all of these camps. You're going to learn something from them, but also like there, there's not that many people, you know, there's more people listening to this podcast right now that are going to go to all the camps out there. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm a super big fan of them. Um, and I think there's just so much knowledge, uh, you can glean from just hanging around people like you and asking questions, asking specific questions. You know, you listen to these podcasts and, and it's really good. You get these insights, but I think it's really powerful when you can go to someone and you're like, Hey, here's what happened to me. What should I have done in this, in this situation? And, you know, those are very specific questions that you have experience with and you get to learn from them. So, you know, if you've hunted, it doesn't even have to be 10 years, you know, a couple of years, you've made mistakes. You're like, Oh, what should I have done here? It's 
more tangible, but it's easier to learn from those and say like, ah, that's, that's what I should have done. And you know, this is scenario, because we all have that scenario, like, ah, what should, I should have done something different here or what should I have done there? Uh, and that's where like, just getting to talk and hang out with you guys, uh, is, is massive because you listen to this podcast and it doesn't give you that direct answer to a lot of those questions that you have, um, and scenarios that you've been in the past. So I'm, man, I, I love them. They're a huge, uh, a huge advocate for a lot of these, these camps that first, first yeah, experience. Yeah. And I really like that one at Lampers too. That was a really good one too. Yeah. I liked it. Nice. Um, I think I'll be at the predator one this year. He's got a predator one coming up. So. Dude. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. For anybody that doesn't know, Tom's a freaking wolf killer too. I want to like go pick your brain on wolf. So yeah, maybe yeah, I'll, have to, I'll show up just for that. So I can pick your brain on wolf hunting. <laughs> oh yeah. I love, I love it. I mean, I, you know, before I did it, cause I had to right? If I was going to actually have elk to kill, I, I need to knock the wolves out and that now I'm kind of in a weird spot where I'm like some of those areas where the wolves used to run, don't run anymore. And I'm like, huh, kind of miss them. <laughs> <laughs> don't, I, I try to not say that out loud, but, <laughs> but I'm yeah, like, don't let people hear you say that. they're just fun to hunt. Um, yeah. I, I think when you get good at it too, like it's a whole nother level. It's like being, being good at elk hunting makes it way more fun. I, I imagine wolf hunting is the same. Like, you know, it's, it's hard for me to put in the time for wolves. Well, I hate that term, but like, it's, the time is not a priority for me, probably because I'm not very good at it. But if I was good at wolf hunting, I'd probably like make the priority or make the time to, to knock it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, yeah. And I, and I, again, that's a, that's a topic for another day, but yeah, no, you're right. You, there, it does take more time to kill a wolf than it does to kill an elk. I mean, no doubt. They just cover more country their territory is way bigger than in an elk's tail territory. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can find like, you know, to where the elk shed their antlers from where they summer, you know, that range is not near as far as when you see a wolf pack that covers. And I'm, when I'm saying drainages, I'm talking about long, like 30, 40 mile drainages. One wolf pack can run four to five of those drainages. And so it's like, you know, it takes a lot of time to know where to find them. Um, but same thing. I mean, just like on any animal, like after you know what you're doing and you know what to look for, that really cuts a lot of that learning curve or, or just the, that, that curve of finding them. We're like, okay, you know, and it's hard to explain. It's hard, really hard to explain what to look for in a map without showing you. It's a lot easier to be like, okay, this is the map. This is what I look for. And this is why, right. We we're trying to talk about with elk. I'm like, you know, if I had like a little, chart right here or showing on onyx or or google earth it'd be a lot easier to explain it for me it's like it's really it's a lot hard to explain what the terrain's supposed to look like if that makes sense no no totally like you just can't put a word to like oh it's i'm looking for elky you know like that's just yeah like, uh, i'm looking for an elky spot that, that yeah, looks pretty yeah, elky. Totally. yeah it looks elky uh anyway uh, well, well, Tom, thank you so much for jumping on, man. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll put links to all your stuff, man. Great YouTube channel. You have the mule deer course. You have the wolf course. You have all, you guys got a ton of cool stuff going on. Uh, we'll put links to all that. Um, anything else, I guess, uh, maybe we'll link. I'm sure that'll show them where the elk course and stuff is too, as well. Uh, anything I missed there? Um, no, I think that's about it. I'll, I'll um, send you some information on that. We don't quite have a website just yet, but I have an email that people can reach out and we can, chat up, chat it up, you know, cause it's, we're trying to customize it for people's experience for it. It's not a, we're doing not a big camp. It's, it's a small camp, um, max 10 people. And just so that we can customize it. And, um, and it's, there's a lot to do at this camp. Like I said, 
you know, from long range shooting to archery. Um, we're going to do some hiking, you know, there's a lot of options, you know, when it comes to elk hunting, do we pack in with llamas or do we day hunt places? You know, we're going to teach you everything and what to expect in, in an elk hunt. Cause you can waste time too. I feel like with hunts. And again, I know you got, got to go, but like you can waste a lot of time with, with livestock, <laughs> I guess you could say. Totally. Or, yeah. I am. Yeah. Or, or vice versa where you need those, you know, yeah. you can pack. Yeah. Expect, imagine packing in 20 miles and there's no elk there. Been there, done that for sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. there's a time and place when they're necessary and there's a time and place where they're not. So just, you know, I think the most important thing with being a really good hunter is to have a diverse portfolio and just like, you know, no, like have a lot of options, not like one technique doesn't work. I I've had people like this just recently. He's like, Oh, I promise you, if you do this method, you'll kill her bro every time. I'm like, that is not true. I was like, I, I tell you what, like it has worked on me in some cases, but it doesn't work every time, you know, like everybody has their methods. And I think it's important to have multiple methods so that you have an option. Right. Um, cause I feel like, you know, what's the saying go or like the, if you do something more than once, it's insanity. Do you know the saying? What am I trying to say? Yeah, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result is called insanity. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Thank you. And, <laughs> and I feel like people will do that on an elk. Like if there's a big bull they're pursuing, they'll do the same thing over and over and over again. It's like, you, like didn't you find out the fourth time that doesn't work? You're going to have to change it up a little. Yeah. And I mean, like the times are different. I, I, I think now more than ever, like you can't just like, oh, I'm going to challenge bugle every bull. I just, you don't have enough options anymore. Like back in 2012, that was a thing. I just think it's not a thing, at least anywhere I've hunted. I definitely, you know, it's like, you, you got to be able to switch it up. You got to kind of hunt the elk where it's at and, you know, different elk, different situations. I'm a huge believer in like teaching, like Oops, sorry, my dog's barking. Um, teaching like three tactics, three or four tactics. I think it's easy to get overwhelmed with these like, you know, bunch of tactics and, you know, not do any of them well or bounce around too much. But at the same time, you don't want to just challenge people every bowl. Yeah, that's true too. And, and the last thing I'd say too, is just like for people, I would say that you are, if, if people are having a hard time finding the balance between being too aggressive and not aggressive enough, I would lean more toward being aggressive. Um, just saying that if you look at the guys who are more aggressive hunters than not aggressive, they're the ones that kill. They, they, they'll chase a lot off, but they, they typically kill. And I say this because that's how we started originally. We were very, very aggressive hunters and we chased a lot. And, but we were always, we always showed success, even with like being a, you know, a chaser. It's like in Alaska, we just don't put, that's probably the last thing to say is just don't put limits on yourself. When you hunt Alaska and you see a moose five miles out that you want, a lot of people are going to be feeling like, uh, do I really want to pack a moose that far? And maybe it's a bad habit of ours. We just don't think about it till it's dead. We're just like, let's, <laughs> who cares? We'll figure out a way to get it out. Let's just kill the dang thing first. And then we'll find a way. Just, just focus on killing it. You can't, we're here to kill. That's why we're here. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. I didn't come here to sit at camp and to drink some hot cocoa. I'm here to kill something. That's the mission. <laughs> so. Totally. Totally. Well, Tom, yeah. well, thank you so much for jumping on, man. Uh, we'll put links in the show notes and uh, best of luck with all your endeavors this year, man. Hey, thank you. And I'm sure we'll see you soon.
Yeah, sounds good. All right, see you, bye. Alrighty, guys, thanks for tuning into the show. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and share it with one of your hunting buddies. Also, if you want a free hunt planner, be sure to go check the link in the show notes. It's 100% free. You can download our hunt planning tool, which is a great resource for kind of keeping track of all of your hunts, your hunt plans, your points, all of those things. Pretty great resource. Go check it out. Links in the show notes, or you can check our website, www.elkhunt201.com. Oh.